Welcome to Almost Here, Around the Corner of Future Technology podcast with Richard Jacobs. Future technologies poised to transform our lives for better or worse are the focus of this podcast. Almost Here means these technologies are now here and starting to be used. We're just around the corner from Bitcoin to artificial intelligence, 3D printing, blockchain, virtual reality, and more. This is Richard Jacobs with the Future Tech Podcast. Uh, my guest is Adam Kajawa. He's the director of Malware Intelligence at Malwarebytes. And the website is also malwarebytes.com. And Bytes has a uh, Adam, thanks for coming. How you doing? I'm great, Rich. Thanks for having me. Yeah. I was just uh, saying offline, you know, unlike uh, it, it, I thought of Malwarebytes as a snack, but it's not. You know, obviously it's not malware. <laughs> so we were laughing about that. But, uh, <laughs> <laughs> I'm really going to pitch that, uh, though. <laughs> yeah, well, why not? You know, it could be a breakfast cereal and a, you know, a cyber, cyber thing. But there tell you me go. about uh, the, the company. What do you guys work on? What's the premise of everything you do? Yeah, sure thing. So Malwarebytes is uh, we're a security solution company. Um, we developed anti-malware and uh, additional software, I guess layered defense software for both consumers and for enterprises. Um, so we're kind of like a next generation antivirus in that sense, where we go after malware. We use uh, lots of different technologies that we have at our, our disposal in order to detect malware and attacks and uh, things like that with the hope of overall just kind of creating a, a malware free existence for, for at least our customers, if not, you know, the world. Is that, so we've, you know, I, I know it's an arms race. I mean, is it even possible to do that? What, what's the environment like out there? You know, how many, um, bad actors are there and how many uh, viruses and trojans and all that stuff do you have to contend with there's there's a lot and i mean over the years over the last 10 years the numbers have increased drastically we've probably never seen more new malware than we see now and uh the people that are involved in it there's there's far more folks the actual act of being a cyber criminal is a lot easier now because you've got a lot of uh, dark net forums and hacker you know websites and forums where people are either sharing how to do these things or offering their services uh, as, as a paid consultant or, or basically, you know, as a service. So we use a term in the industry a lot. And I know it's a, it's a term in the tech industry overall, but the as a service thing, um, they think of like security as a service as being a type of uh, offering that you could, you know, easily deploy quickly and take care of your, your problems. There's not a lot of setup, things like that. When it comes to certain malware types as a service, like for instance ransomware uh, as a service, and you know ransomware is the type of malware that's going to hijack the user system, encrypt all their files, and then demand payment for it. So yeah. when I talk about ransomware as a service, then I'm talking about well, there's a family of ransomware out there. There's the creators, these developers, these bad guys who are selling um, the use of their ransomware that they've spent hours and hours and hours on developing and making it uh, as, as powerful as possible. And now they're going to let other people distribute it for them uh, and they're going to take a cut of that. You know, So it's right. basically at the point where, where you don't have to know much to be a cyber criminal. You just have to have resources and, and know where to go, know who to talk to. What's the umbrella term? Is it viruses and malware as a subset or is it malware and viruses and you know phishing and all those other stuff as a subset? Like, yeah, so... Terms. Right. Well, I mean, overall, the, the, the highest all-encompassing umbrella term is just cybercrime, which would be malware and phishing and various types of other, or being the encompassing term for viruses, trojans, ransomware, adware, you know, thing, actual software that's on the system doing bad things, 
um, hacker tools, okay. things like that. Gotcha. So what's, uh, you know, how long have you been in this? And, you know, I'm guessing it's X number of years. And what's the, the latest trends that you're seeing that are different from before? Well, I've been at this uh, for 14 plus years now. And uh, I was with for about seven. Um, mm. And, uh, I mean, my background is in, is in uh, I used to work for, for the military, for the government, certain three-letter agencies mm. doing kind of similar work um and fighting fighting badness behind the scenes but uh as far as trends go i mean the, the landscape changes pretty much every six months well, we are doing this regular thing we call the cybercrime tactics and techniques report and we do this every single quarter we're on our eighth one right now um either six or eight i lose i lose count but uh but regardless we take a look at the last you know three months and we say all right what happened out there um what are the trends what are our customers seeing we look at our detection telemetry we get to see what kind of yeah. stuff that our that our customers are getting hit with we have um various honeypots and collection systems we use to identify what the bad guys are going to be looking or going to be trying to push out and so we combine yeah. you know both of those kind of sources of information with the experience and knowledge of our of our analysts and our researchers um and are able to create this really great report that just gives a little uh, update as far as what the threat landscape is doing and if it's interesting or not. Um, this year in particular has been a little bit boring, especially the first half of the year, because uh, late in 2017, you know, uh, the the value of Bitcoin, I mean, you know, jumped to the roof. Yeah, you wrote a book up. about it. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. And when that happened, we started seeing cyber criminals distributing crypto miners uh, all over the place. Mm, that's right. That's right. Yeah. The I buy ones. Yeah. And then also just actually on the desktop as well. So a lot of the same avenues we see for distribution of, of other types of malware, for instance, you know, like ransomware, Trojans and things, we see Bitcoin miners or we saw Bitcoin miners for a lot, a long time. It was so heavily detected that, that there was very little other malware going on. And that's changed sure. now as of Q3. That has definitely changed. We're actually seeing a, a significant drop in crypto mining activity. Um, my personal theory being that it's just not worth it anymore to the bad guys. <laughs> yep, it's not a good return on investment. Yeah, it's so interesting. So, um, I don't know any anything that you can say. Any crazy stories of like unbelievably sophisticated malware you've run into, or just you know real nasty or really interesting tactics that uh, you know cyber criminals have used that you had to defend against? Sure, sure. So, uh, so one example that. Um, it's a pretty big name example with WannaCry uh, last year, May of last year. Mm. Um, so we have anti-ransomware technology built into our products. And this this basically allows or it, it keeps an eye on every process and every thread on an operating system or inside of Windows. What's going on in the system? Who's talking to who? Who's communicating with what? And we use that to keep track of, of all operations going on and then identify certain operations as being known to be malicious are known to be associated with ransomware. Um, when you we kind of give a score to each of those operations, and so one in a particular process starts to get a pretty high score because they're doing so many things we recognize as ransomware, then we identify the offending executable, we kill it, we go back to the, we, we try to find the originating evil. So if, if the malware infects the system, it will probably try to infect a separate process, or at least the memory of that process, and appear to be that process doing something malicious on the system, in order to kind of hide itself. Um, mm. So we try to find that originating file, we delete that too. And so the point of all that was that in, in May of last year, when WannaCry hit, we were able to to grab that stuff and stop it 
um, before like, before we had even needed to see it. I mean, this is the future of, of security here when it comes to behavioral detection, when it comes to um, you know artificial intelligence and being able to do things based on the, the behavior versus on what it looks like or, or uh, you know what the file itself looks like. So I mean, that, that's a good example. Uh, I got a scary one. Um, so this was years ago, and uh, this was back when before CryptoLocker came along. So before the days of uh, of encrypting ransomware were all over the place. Um, mm -hmm. Most of the ransomware we were dealing with, this is like 2012, was just these lockers that would just lock your screen, say we're from the FBI or Interpol or wherever, and uh, you committed a crime. You know, pay us to expunge your record or whatever. And right, uh, I don't know right. if you remember this. Yeah, yeah. So a lot of people got hit. And the tactics of them started to get more and more kind of ruthless when more and more people were like, oh, this is totally fake. I can easily get this off my system. Um, right. I mean, it was pretty rampant there for a while because it was being distributed through exploit kits. Uh, but near the end, before we, we kind of saw a complete drop off of this method of, of attack because it was no longer as effective, um, there was one particular ransomware family that would lock the screen that would claim you've been doing things like uh, like illegal gambling or, or whatever, but then also um, like looking at observing, saving child pornography. And the worst part about this was that this ransomware claimed that they found it and they had a little image at the very bottom of the lock screen that was child oh, pornography. Right. Yeah. So at this point, if you're a person that doesn't know anything about computers or you're not, you know, a security buff or anything like that, you see something like that in your system. What are you going to do? You know, are you going to go? Out. Yeah, you're going to go to your friend or your, your, your geek squad or somebody else who says, "Oh, it looks like you were looking at child porn here," even though you weren't. It's the guilt right. that the cyber criminals give to the user, and then they say, "Oh, I'll just pay it; it'll go away." That's horrible. So, yeah, yeah, that's one of the nastier ones but, I've seen. Do you? Um, I would figure you guys have a sandbox environment, maybe like a, a network of computers that you. Don't put any viruses or don't put any malware, anti-malware on, and then expose it to the internet and see what happens to it, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah, we we call that um, various stage execution of of malware. Um, our kind of first stage analysis in that kind of environment would be to just kind of identify everything about the file, about the malware itself, see what it does, uh, what kind of operations it changes on the system. Um, you know, that information is, is valuable for our analysts. It's valuable for us to uh, do deeper analysis and write blog posts and write, you know, do whatever we have to do to make the product um, better at protecting folks against that threat. Um, mm -hmm. Second stage analysis would be to let that malware also download additional malware and then see what that does. And that's um, mm -hmm. that's kind of the holy grail of the security community right now, getting to that point where you've got a sandbox that just completely leads the malware from initial infection all the way to uh, double, triple, whatever other infection um, you know level it wants to get to. Uh, at the very end of its, of its infection cycle. And so this allows us to get us lots and lots of information. The problem, of course, being okay. that the bad guys know we do this, you know, and they make their malware to uh, to stop our analysis. You know, it'll detect, oh, I'm inside of a virtual machine or a sandbox or something. Oh, I'm being analyzed. Uh, oh, this is not, you know, this isn't the right uh, memory space I'm supposed to be in, things like that. Uh, huh. Even Even time checks sometimes inside of a virtual environment, the time isn't necessarily exactly the same. So doing a time check, uh, especially when you're doing some sort of analysis like that is a good idea. That's um, crazy. So the, yeah. the countermeasures are they can, they can tell when you're trying to scan or, you know, or I guess they would look at, uh, you know, a normal computer environment would be used by users 
mm-hmm. the users, I guess, would have a certain profile and open certain, I don't know, they'd have certain settings or open certain programs yeah. and use yeah. it at a certain frequency level. So maybe they analyze all that. I don't know. Yeah, yeah, they they have to, and uh, I mean, there's one particular method I always always really liked. I think it's called the, uh, I can't remember what it's called right now. Um, regardless, the malware tries to throw a um, a call to a function at the very low level uh, assembly programming level of a, of a a virtual machine. Okay, so every virtual machine kind of runs its own, you know, secret own private processor. It has its own ability. It has its ability to take its own commands, its own language, things like that. It won't be the exact same as the processor you're running on your desktop. So, what the malware will do is, if it knows it's in, for instance, VirtualBox, runs its own processor, has its own language and code that's pretty similar to what you see with, you know, outside of a virtual machine. But it, within it, it does have a few extra commands to make it, you know, the virtual machine do whatever it wants to do. So the bad guys know about this and they say, all right, look, there's, uh, I'm going to make this call. I'm going to, I'm going to call this function that should only exist inside of a virtual machine. If it returns, then I'm killing everything because I'm inside a virtual machine. If it doesn't, then I'm going to crash the malware. But then, I mean, it's, it's just, it's very complicated, but basically uh, they're, they're crazy. going to affect the system. And, and we have to model our sandboxes and our analysis environments after kind of a traditional user environment. You know, sometimes we have to make the mouse move a little bit. Sometimes we have to, we put a bunch of documents on the desktop. You know, we try to make it look as legitimate as possible. So it's not a dead giveaway that we're looking that we're, you know, we're the good guys trying to fight them. Yeah. Interesting. Um, you, uh, do you have like a bug bounty program or do you have a, uh, you know, come at me bro type program where you, you invite hackers to try to crack your software and, yeah, I mean, I, I would figure, I know that it seems like hackers just want money. So if you offered <laughs> them a decent incentive, I would think that would make a lot of them, you know, attack you in a certain environment and help you uh, get rid of bugs. Yeah, and we do have a bug bounty program. Um, we work with a third party, actually, for our bug, bug bounty program for uh, so that people, you know, um, researchers or, or cyber criminals or whoever wants to, to poke at our stuff. Uh, can submit that kind of information to us, and they can get a payout for it. So we don't we don't go out and say, "Hey, all the hackers of the world, try to take us down," because we're un, you know you can't take us down. It's impossible. Uh, we're not dumb. <laughs> That's uh, but but we do have a bug bounty program, and we've had a few instances where it's come really in handy. Okay, yeah, interesting. Um, what about uh, what are some common misconceptions? Like you know, I, I don't know. When I think of uh, smartphones, it seems like I don't know. I, I, again, I'm just one person, but I don't hear about many. Uh, you know, viruses or malware on smartphones. Maybe I'm wrong. Maybe that's the worst environment. Like, how would no. you compare mobile to desktop? And you know, what what's the landscape look like? If I was to, to rank, at least where we have offerings, um, uh, the kind of operating systems or platforms that would be the most susceptible to malware. Number one would be Windows. Number two would be Android. Number three would be Mac. Um, and then we haven't really seen very much at all for iOS. That is a pretty locked down environment. I got to give it credit. Um, I'm a, I'm a Android person myself, but <laughs> uh, so anyway, we do see a fair amount of attacks coming through on the Android side. Everything from uh, ransomware, you know, hijacking to information stealing malware. Um, it's not as common as we see on on the Windows desktop side, mainly because there's a lot of different platforms. You know, everybody's running a different version of the Android OS. Um, it's, it's not the best platform. It takes a bit more effort, cunning, you know, uh, cleverness, basically, to try and um, to get a user to click on something that will allow the, the malware to have administrative access. 
that's another thing you've got that a lot of these phones are locked down to the point where even even our app, because um, we have we've got an app for smartphones for for Android and, and iOS coming out. Um, the Android's been out for years, and uh, there's there's always limits as to how we can scan APKs, you know, malicious potentially malicious files on the phone. On the desktop, we have you know full administrative power. We can do whatever we want in order to really take a deep look. But on the Android side, doing that kind of stuff isn't something that Windows or I mean uh, that Google allows um, you know the Android Android apps to do to each other. You know, to to be able to dig into it and say, what is this? Who are you? What are you doing? And it does that for security purposes, but obviously it, it makes it more difficult for both the protectors and the attackers to um, to really secure everything. So most of what you see on the Android side is, is social engineering, is ad-based, you know, comes because somebody installed an app from a third-party uh, app store that's untrusted instead of Google Play or whatever. Um, so that's, that's mostly what we see on the Android side. And we've been talking for years about, oh yeah, the, the day where Android malware rules the world is coming, but... It never came, and it still isn't there yet. When we get mobile phones that are as powerful as desktops and that have maybe as are as lack security as a desktop might have, then we may see a bigger push in that direction. But uh, but yeah, right now it's still almost entirely on on the Windows side. Yeah, that's weird because you know mobile is. Uh, I mean, it's. I mean, now I guess the threshold has been crossed where mobile is in use more than desktop and laptop, and I would think yeah. the hackers go where the money is. So. Well, that's why you, you know, see what's happening with mobile. Do you, do you see it becoming a big source of, uh, of viruses and malware in the future? Well, the bad guys go after the money, that's for sure, but they also are lazy. <laughs> a lot of them are. <laughs> they look for the low-hanging fruit. Um, and like I said, the, the Android environment is just too much of a pain right now uh, to get a good return on investment for the amount of, of you know resources that are going to be devoted to developing malware for that platform. It doesn't mean it's not happening. Obviously, it is happening. We're seeing it. It's just very slow. So, yeah, eventually, someday when we have, you know, a mobile phone that we just plug into a dock at work and then everything we need to do for work comes up uh, on that dock or on that phone, we, we keep our lives on the phone more so than we do now. And there really isn't much of a, a point of going after Windows users anymore. Um, then we'll probably see a, a big push toward toward the mobile side. But, you know, this the other thing is that... Um, like I mentioned, social engineering is a big aspect. Engineering is uh, basically for any, you know, if you don't know, um, tricking someone, scamming them, you know, telling them one thing right, is yeah. actually, so, you know, so it's, that's social engineering. Phishing attacks are all social engineering. Oh, yeah, here's a document you have to open. It's, it's, a, it's about your new pay for next year or something like that. Um, that's phishing. That's social engineering. And so we see a lot of that on the phone. Um, I don't know about you, but I feel like over the last couple of years, the amount of scammers that have been calling me have just really increase significantly. Um, you get a lot of uh, these these websites that you might visit on your, your mobile browser that'll have a pop-up, kind of what you see on the desktop side every once in a while saying, you need to, yep. you know, whatever, you're infected, you need to do this, you need to do that. So it's a lot of it, it takes advantage of what the criminals expect users to not know about. Um, and that's just across the board, outside of just Android, but also on the Windows side and everything else. We see plenty of attacks that don't require uh, immense sophistication when it comes to the technology behind it. It just requires the user falling for something and letting the bad guy in. And that's probably the primary way of, of attackers do things these days. What are some best practices and what are the things that people should avoid when it comes to you know, navigating the Internet? Well, I mean, there's the, the regular stuff you hear about. You know, be careful of what links you click on and who, what you know, emails you open up. Um, 
just having kind of a general air of I'm not sure I trust everything that I'm looking at is always a good idea, in my opinion. I try not to, to be a fear monger or tell people to just freak out, as they shouldn't. Because honestly, I mean, a lot of a lot of attacks can easily be avoided by just simple education and being a little more aware of, of the potential of uh, danger of something than just blindly clicking on stuff. Um, the cyber criminals know this, and, and they do things like hijack you know, our friends and contacts uh, systems in order to get to us, or they... Uh, you know, they pretend to be something legitimate. They, they always do this kind of stuff. And so it's up to the users really at the end of the day to to be more aware of that kind of stuff. Um, if you see a link, you know, hover over it, see where it's going. If you get, uh, if someone asks you to download a file, who is this person? Why do they want you to download a file? Do you trust them? You know, one method of spreading malware a few years back was this particular threat that would hijack Skype accounts and then send a message to every contact you had on Skype saying, LOL, comma, is this you? And it just had a zip file on it, right? So assuming that you're anything like me, a little conceited, uh, you're like, oh, is that me? I don't know if that's me or not. So I'm going to click it and open it because it's coming from someone I think I know. And then I get infected and the whole process starts over again. It's crazy. I mean, that was one of the simplest ones I've ever seen, but it was so effective. Well, one time I tried to renew my um, <clears throat> antivirus. I don't know what company I was using. And I was fished because, you know, I went to the website and all that. It looked fine and everything. I renewed it. And as soon as I put my credit card in and all that, my computer went crazy. And that was the end of it. Yeah. <laughs> that yeah. was one that I was. <laughs> oh, yeah. I got I got my identity stolen uh, last year before last, um, probably because of one of those many breaches. Like I said, I worked for, for the government before. So the OPM breach, I was in that. You know, the Equifax thing, everything. Uh and it, and it sucks. Uh, getting your identity stolen is really a pain. Some companies are cool about it. Um, like, for instance, they opened up a American Express card in my name and added like three iPhones to my Sprint account. Um, and oh, I got man. all that removed and shut down. No problem at all. And then one other bank, who I'm not going to say their name, uh, is like, no, you owe us money. I'm like, this wasn't me. Uh, we don't believe you. And so it's just back and forth with them. Uh, I hope nobody else has to deal with that. <laughs> yeah, that's terrible. So um, any other really interesting or surprising things you've learned? I mean, like, did you run across Stuxnet, you know, that was around a few years ago or oh, yeah. anything else that's uh, super interesting to you? Yeah. I mean, uh, state sponsored malware like Stuxnet or flame, things like that. I have, I have worked on or poked at, uh, in the past. Usually that stuff is, it's always got so much more hype around it than what is the real concern. The, the concern about, about state-sponsored malware, in my opinion, is not that every person on the planet is going to get infected with it. Those things are designed specifically to be a, to attack a single target, you know, or a group of targets. Um, and it was developed so that it would evade the detection of the security products of that those targets. So it's unlikely that a regular person is ever going to get hit with that. The thing that to be concerned about, though, is that a lot of technology we see from APT um, or Advanced Persistent Threat, you know, state-sponsored malware. Uh, it does eventually make its way onto the consumer side. Take, for instance, the uh, Eternal Blue exploits that we saw with WannaCry and Apetia. Um, these are these are exploits against uh, you know Windows servers basically that allow malware to break in without having to uh, physically like, so just exploit this. Um, I think it's a SMB vulnerability, 
and uh, they're able to get onto the network, start infecting systems, spreading all around it with worm capabilities, using these same exploits to spread to the network and spread to other networks. I mean, you remember it was it was just pandemonium. I mean, the, the amount of uh, WannaCry detections it just exploded overnight or over a few hours, actually. <laughs> so, um, but that technology we've seen with consumer-facing malware today. So there's uh, Emotet, TrickBot. These are two very popular, very commonly seen information-stealing malware families that we've been dealing with stopping a lot of over the last few months. It's actually a big part of our report where we talk about Emotet and its capabilities. Um, but they also, it also has some of these exploits uh, built into it. And we've seen other families that also have some of these exploits built into them so that once they infect the system, they don't have to just uh, hope that they can get what they need from that single system. They could start traversing the network. They could start, you know, either brute forcing credentials or exploiting vulnerabilities to try and get throughout the network and make a bigger spread. Um, Emotet in particular also is known for installing additional malware. So that's that's a big problem, right? Um, and on, on the same token, I'm sorry. Oh, no, no. I, I was going to ask you, actually, a thought just came to mind. Um, are you seeing anyone use AI and malware to make it the malware adaptive and to learn and to uh, dynamically change its code? That's what I expect to see someday. Um, I don't think that any time, at least within the next 10 years, because I can't predict further than 10 years, apparently, um, that, that we will not see AI deployed with the malware, but more so have an AI controlling and kind of command and control server in the background that's able to communicate with the malware, identify when a malware is being detected and how it's being detected, quickly roll out changes into a new generation of malware and then distribute those malware all automatically, basically having the same capability of having a human who's you know, actively trying to attack uh, a network or, or just you know, distribute bad stuff, um, completely automated by AI. So that's, that's where I see that going. Um, AI itself would be too heavy to actually deploy it with, with the malware itself. So um, a lot of you know communication is going to be important when we get to that day. Yeah, well, I know that uh, people are working on edge computing, so AI can actually run, you know, on a device itself without having to communicate with the cloud very much. So, but as yeah. you said, you know, yeah. we all learn. Hackers learn, and criminals learn from uh, all what we do, and we learn from them. It's kind of crazy. Yeah, right? exactly. It's a cat and mouse that never stops, and. I, th- I kind of like our, our outlook now. I would say if you go back maybe four or five years and it looked pretty bleak, um, it seemed like the security industry was just unable to keep up with the constant threats that the bad guys are pushing out. And I mean, to be honest, the, the, the landscape over the last 10 years has drastically shifted. Like I said, there's more now, more threats now than we ever have seen before and more attention on them as well. Um, if you go back to you know 2012 or 13, trying to inform uh, a journalist or anybody else, hey, there's this threat out there that you should be worried about it, it was like pulling teeth. They didn't care. Now it's, you know, now you have to beat them off with a stick, right? <laughs> but um, but that, that's the thing. Now security is taken more seriously. The, the technologies we have to combat malware are far more powerful than they have ever been. At least here at Malwarebytes, we've got a lot of stuff cooking as far as new detec- detection technologies um, and kind of supersize or, or I guess, making our existing uh, detection technologies even more powerful than before. You know, we, we're working a lot of development and testing of that kind of stuff. And hopefully over the next year, we'll be able to roll out some of these new products and, and new functionalities that will be able to combat not just the malware we're seeing right now, but tomorrow's malware and the next days. Because we got to watch out for it. That's, at the end of the day, the bad guys see how we stop them. 
you know, they're always going to have that upper hand on us. They'll always be able to just download our product and run a scan and see exactly what it was we hit on, you know, uh, or tweak around enough to know what we hit on. So every time we're dealing with a new family or a new variant of a family of malware, then it's a high likelihood that malware has already been tested against all the security products it could find, like a virus total or something, um, but more of a black hat version that doesn't upload it to the internet. <laughs> and Ooh, uh, yeah, and so it's so the you know, like I said, they have that benefit. Sometimes they take it seriously. And sometimes, you know, we'll see, we'll never see the same version of the same malware more than once. Other times they just don't care to the point where it's like, okay, well, we don't get detected by half of the vendors out there. So we're just going to distribute and see what happens. And, and a lot of times that's the case. You've got this wide uh, net being thrown. Um, but, but one thing to point out real quick uh, was along with, with, with the worm stuff, uh, and when I was talking about before, um, we've actually seen an increase in malware on the business side and a decline on the consumer side over the last quarter. And that is important distinction because most of the, it's for the last few years, it's mostly been consumer, consumer, consumer. Go after uh, the wide net. See how many people you can infect. See how many people you can steal data from or use as a DDoS botnet or something like that or ransom. But now we see more focus on these families and these tactics that we saw against consumers going against businesses. And the reasoning, in my theory anyway, is that because of, like I said, the eternal blue exploits, the uh, the, the NSA exploits, things like that, um, the kind of malware we're dis they're distributing, businesses have uh, better information to steal. They have more value of their information. So if you encrypt it and ransom it, you'll likely get paid. Um, you know, they usually, right. especially if you go after small businesses or medium sized, you know, oftentimes their IT staff or the security staff isn't really uh, built out. And then finally, having network computers and being able to traverse through that network with your malware is way more damaging than just infecting a single grandma. No, that's true. It's funny, is, is, um, I know it's probably not a good idea to even say it, but if you're a, uh, you know, a hardcore uh, cyber criminal, you might as well have like a malware company and sell it for real because you're doing all this work to create it and it's just a little bit more work to undo it so you might as well work on both sides of the aisle you know yeah yeah and, you know it's it's kind of um uh industry i guess the cybercrime world we the, the general consensus or at least what what a lot of people have um have studied and determined is that uh the ages of cyber criminals is between like 17, 16, 17, and like 22 to 24. After that, they usually go get real jobs. Um, and they're just doing it for the learning experience, for the notoriety. That's not saying that every single cyber criminal out there is only doing it part-time. There's obviously some people who are devoted to it. But uh, the, the, this is kind of the thing that benefits us in the, in the uh, cybersecurity community is that, yeah, while they can see how we stop them, they don't, they don't learn from each other very well. Okay, so we'll see a lot of the same things happening over and over again. Um, ransomware, encrypting ransomware actually did not just first show up in 2013. It's been around since 1989. Uh, one of the, the earliest AIDS virus. I don't know if you remember hearing about that, but that was ransomware. And uh, yeah, and <laughs> so the bad guys, they change tactics. They go back to old tried and true things. Seeing so many banking trojans and information stealing malware today makes a lot of sense because if you go back to before the days of ransomware, that's mainly what you saw. People trying to steal information in order to sell on the black market or something like that. Um, and then we had ransomware. And then when ransomware died down, the Bitcoin 
uh, we started to see a rise in this type of malware, but then the value of Bitcoin shot somebody's plans. And for the next six months, we were dealing with just a flood of miners. But now we're getting back to where we were before. So, um, you know, like I said, it's very cyclical. You always kind of see things come around again. And the bad guys will always go back to what's tried and true to work in the past uh, until some new some new attack type comes along. So one developer or, you know, could, could come out with the next crypto locker with the next, um, you know, Stuxnet or whatever type of threat that may uh, have it be generations above everything else we see. And then within the next few months, we'll start to see the cop- copycats of that particular threat as other bad guys uh, either try to get their hands on their co- on that code or they reverse engineer it and learn how to make it themselves. And then we start seeing, like I said, lots and lots of copycats. That always happens. Right. There's there's two certainties in the cybercrime world, low-hanging fruit and copycats. <laughs> well, last thing I wanted to ask you, I, I forgot, um, the dark net or the dark web, I would think that you have to have a whole division that hangs out there and looks for stuff being sold and, you know, all kinds of uh, off-the-shelf, you know, malware and stuff like that being sold. I mean, what can you say about what you've seen there and what goes on there that people don't know about maybe? Um, it's, I mean, it's a marketplace like any other, you know, if you went to a bodega or a swap meet or something like that, and, uh, you would, you would see kind of a similar thing. You've got competitors, you've got, uh, for instance, when, when a couple of years back we had the, the big names in ransomware were Locky and server and, uh, server itself was kind of the, the king of ransomware for at least a year there. And it was a ransomware as a service. It allowed the whole affiliate model where they have their, their uh, customers distribute the malware, they take a chunk of it, they get some cash, they reinvest that into the development of more powerful server ransomware and sell that, et cetera, et cetera. I'm, you know, you've got a market share. Um, if, if you're selling your ransomware and then some other guy's selling your ransomware and, and there's basically the same thing, you've got to do something to differentiate yourself. Um, the, the, the drive-by miners of, uh, of was it CoinHive, you know, they're, they're trying to mine these Monero coins through a script online. Um, mm. We see a, a bunch of these different companies, quote-unquote companies, that are doing this and, and offering it to people to put on their website so they can, you know, as an alternative to advertising, but also whatever. Um, and and some of these uh, companies say, all right, we'll, we'll take 1%. Uh, as, a, as a fee for, for helping you do this or whatever. Uh, others say we have 0%, you know, so it, it, it all comes down to who wants the resources, you know, what functionality is needed and, and what's better than what. So with this constant kind of, um, you know, back and forth when it comes to at least the, the cybercrime underground right now, when it comes to the marketplace of, of trying to sell these kind of things or buy them, um, it's, it's pretty, uh, it's, it's in flux a lot. And I mean, most of the stuff you see on there is kind of garbage anyway. It's just some cheap rats or, you know, maybe an information stealing malware, but nothing that's that's so significantly advanced that it's going to completely change the world. So, um, so yeah, I mean, being concerned about really dangerous types of malware coming from the dark net, uh, we're ready for that kind of stuff. Um, it's, when, okay. it's when governments create super sophisticated malware and then let the source code get leaked. <laughs> that... That we all are in trouble. <laughs> Makes sense, yeah. Okay, yeah. well, very good. So what's the best way for folks to find out more about Malware Bytes and, um, you know, look at your products and try them out? Sure. Well, uh, like I said, we have consumer and enterprise products, so you could try either uh, free trials and, and talk with some of our uh, salespeople if you want. But just go to malwarebytes.com and you'll be able to find everything you need there. If you want some more information about our uh 
what we what we discover, what we search for, what we write about. Um, Blog.malwarebytes.com is our is our Malwarebytes Labs blog, and uh, and we we post on that about all the kinds of stuff we find, everything from how to protect yourself to watch out for this new threat. Okay, but otherwise, great. yeah. Well, Adam, I really yeah, I appreciate you coming. It's been an interesting podcast. Thank you. No problem. Thanks a lot, man. You have been listening to Almost Here, Around the Corner Future Technology Podcast with Richard Jacobs. Subscribe to this podcast, post a review, to discover more future technologies that are poised to transform our lives for better or worse, such as Bitcoin, artificial intelligence, 3D printing, blockchain, virtual reality, and more.